Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Joe Hilliard, joined every week by Dave Gurney. And always, we love to have a special guest Mm -hmm. in our third chair, if possible. And this week, we have a very special guest, a returning special guest, Pam Briard. Yeah, because I brought the beer. Well, that's that makes you a special, special guest. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's an extra special guest. No, actually, Pam uh, has been out on the road recently, and upon her return, she had messaged me saying, hey, whenever you guys are ready, I've got some Wisconsin beers. It would be fun to do some Midwest movies with you guys, and... I mean, how can I say no to that? And an episode is born. Yeah, I mean, that's a no-brainer, especially when, I I don't know, did did either of you go to see The Little Mermaid? My daughter did and said she loved it. Okay, she loved it. Good. I'll check it out at some point, but I can't get super excited about these Disney live-action remakes. They're just, there's too many of them. Yeah, she said it was great and came home singing several songs. Well, you may have heard a can getting cracked open. I love it when a guest is so bold as yeah. to start us into the beer. Pam. Pam's old school. She's 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 been here before. You're doing it right. What is it that you're pouring in our glasses? Today, I am pouring a beer, which you will never get here, <laughs> which is Potosi Snake Hollow. Potosi is a little teensy, tiny little town in Wisconsin, um, close to the Iowa-Illinois border. It's on the Mississippi next to the Mississippi River. It's where my dad is from. He actually grew up on a farm outside of Potosi. There's uh-huh. a, all that's left is the sign that says Briard Hill because <laughs> it was on the top wow. of a hill. Oh, my gosh. And um, this says it's a citrus hop aroma with a resinous grapefruit bite. I think it's pretty tasty. You've had this already. So the, it's described as a West Coast-style IPA, mm-hmm. which is always going to be bold with the way that it's using the hops and I'm definitely getting the citrus on the nose yeah. as I'm going in there. It's it smells kind of dank too, like resinous, like which I associate with West Coast IPAs, like going into that really um again, like it it, it was the when this style arose, it was that era when we were all just seeing how far we could push the hop flavors in certain beers, which could be done really well sometimes and sometimes could get over the top personally but i'm excited to try this one and that it's connected to this uh town and your family's history that's pretty cool and my father actually worked at the brewery when he was in college and so when they restored the brewery and turned it into an attraction they put the name of everybody who'd ever worked there out of brick so if you ever go to the potosi brewery my dad's name is there oh that's awesome that's great yeah that's i I love i love that when uh they can connect with the history these regional breweries that used to exist you know like i mean there were just tons of them that 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 were all around the country pearl being one i think in yeah. texas that is kind of fondly remembered it's it's awesome when i feel like people with the right intentions come in and can make good beer in those spaces and kind of bring that that aspect of life back to places where it was kind of gone away when we went to that macro conglomeration mm-hmm. style of beer where no everything gets pumped out of these major hubs um but wisconsin is a major hub is the funny thing like milwaukee even in sure. that era was one of those you know locuses of beer making activity always yeah the one beer i couldn't bring back that i wanted to was point special beer <laughs> which oh, yeah? is from stevens point wisconsin where okay. I, I went to high school 
And until about 10 years ago, they were the oldest continuously owned family brewery in the United States. Wow. And the reason I couldn't bring any back is they only had it in bottles in Madison, you know. But like at the grocery stores in Wisconsin, there are beer rooms. There are chilled beer rooms that have like hundreds of kinds of beer in it. It's just like... (laughs) Wow. Dare to dream. Dare to dream. <laughs> Wisconsin knows how to do it. Ha- having spent some time in the Midwest and, and gone, to, gone to Wisconsin, gone through Wisconsin, and experienced all that surrounds Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, you know, Wisconsin knows the beer thing in a way that does. I mean, the, the, the others have caught up. I think like Illinois and Minnesota these days have a lot of craft beer and a lot of beer geekery going on. But, you know, my experience 20 years ago around there, Wisconsin was the one who like early in that they whole craft it. beer trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, I think. Uh, well, the, and you can find it everywhere. I mean, you can yeah. find it in little towns. You know, you don't yes. have to be somewhere hip. That's right. That's right. It's much more integrated into just general drinking culture there in a way that it still isn't in a lot of places it's here in Texas. So, Pam, prior to your involvement with us, and thank you again for being here, did would this have been a beer-focused kind of, is that what you would have done, found some local breweries and enjoyed yourself on a trip like this? Or were you... I would have found a local bar. And a local <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, between the beer and the brandy old-fashioned. I was going to say, that's, that's the cocktail you love up there that's sort yeah. of the Wisconsin staple. I always love seeing the picture. When you get there, you usually will at least post one picture of the first brandy old-fashioned you have once you get there well drinking is a culture up there and actually um, the first German immigrants were a lot of them were hops farmers and so there was a lot of hops production in Mm -hmm. the in the 1850s and stuff and the small farms in southern Wisconsin and you can still it's sort of come back as a kind of a specialty yeah thing now there's a, there's farms in Maine now, like which wasn't a thing, and and I don't think that had historically been a thing because we didn't have a ton of German immigrants and all that. But uh, it's it's fascinating when you see that stuff kind of again something that's happened from early on waves of immigration get sort of rekindled because yeah. of this interest. Hops are very difficult to grow where we are. Yes, yeah. no, it's almost impossible. Almost Texas, impossible. Yeah. Well, well, so Pam suggested a couple of. A Wisconsin-based or Wisconsin-set or uh, Midwest films, yeah. and both of them I was delighted to rewatch. I'll just <clears throat> say it right up front. The first one we're gonna do, and when you see the opening credit montage, it's nothing but scenes from Wisconsin. It's Bridesmaids. Yeah. This, of course, came out in 2011, starring Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph and many others. Annie. Kristen Wiig is a single woman whose own life is a mess, but when she learns that her lifelong best friend Lillian, Maya Rudolph, is engaged, she has no choice but to serve as the maid of honor. Though lovelorn and almost penniless, Annie nevertheless winds her way through the strange and expensive rituals associated with her job as the bride's go-to gal. Determined to make things perfect, she gamely leads Lillian and the other bridesmaids down the wild road to the wedding. And this, I remember this being very much two things when it came out. Number one, Kristen Wiig's kind of um, rise uh, from her, everyone knew her of course from Saturday Night Live, but she can do a big screen thing. Three things, the second thing, this movie made a lot of money, and third, it was refreshing to see the girls on film be naughty in a way that we typically reserve for the guys on film because this film is very naughty, if you will. Well, you know, I had the same thought when I started watching it is that 
there's a ton of physical humor in it, which is not something you necessarily necessarily associate with female characters. Right. I mean, there's going to be a lot of physical humor in the second film we talk about, but it's a very different kind of film. However, I have the the feminist in me. <laughs> as I was watching it and laughing, um, kept on being sort of brought back to the idea that a lot of this humor, even though it was physical humor, was very highly sexualized yeah. in a way oh, sure. that I don't think that they would do it with male characters. And, you know, there's a romance in the movie, yeah. but it feels like a almost like a... A B-plot. You know, like they just sort of threw that in because they knew they couldn't get away with, you know, making jokes about body functions for an entire movie. And even Melissa McCarthy, it's kind of her breakout Yeah. Film. Oh, absolutely. I was going to add right. to the, the list of three I mean, that Joe said. I think to me, this one, because I knew Kristen Wiig from SNL and felt very strongly that she was a great performer, yeah. great comic talent. So great. I was not surprised at all there. But McCarthy was a performer who had never stood out because I did not watch I think it was Mike and Molly was the sitcom she had and been part the, of she, the, Gil, the Gilmore Girls and yes and I didn't watch those programs so I didn't know her this yeah. was huge for me and putting her on my radar sure but even a lot of her stuff is is around sexual themes and sure. there are some that aren't and I was sitting there I was thinking well what what great women comics were physical and I think of Lucille Ball and you know, almost none of her stuff was no. sexual no and I, I mean, I understand that it was a different era and everything, right. and this is supposed to be breaking out for people and stuff, but that kind of bothered me a little bit at well, the end. I, to me, this is a film that's hard to view out of the context of the Hangover movies that had come out oh. just a couple years before this, yeah, right? right. I mean, this was like 2008, 2009, those films were coming out. Uh -huh. And to me, it was that moment where we're going to go further, and Step Brothers kind of falls into that. There's a few of those male-centered comedies that were coming in the late 2000s that were getting kind of edgier with how they were depicting sexuality or at least like at least making jokes about it mm -hmm. in a more overt way and i feel like bridesmaids kind of was okay women can do that too to some extent but i hear what you're saying i mean i think that the way that the female characters are sexualized and the way they use that is different than what we see in films like The Hangover. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely, like... Well, I think there's a reality a to all those conversations, it seems like, especially, and I don't know how the character's names or the actress in front of me, the blonde, platinum blonde. Oh, uh, McClendon Covey, right? Uh, Rita is the character. Yeah. Wendy McClendon Covey. Right. Who, the the yeah. complaints she has when Annie wants to do a tamed-down version of the <laughs> bachelorette party at the lake house. I want, like, is it balls in my face? I want, no? yeah, yeah, I want yeah. balls in my face. <laughs> I want a fantasy that I can remember for the rest of whatever. I, as so, I, no, as so I, that I can think of this every time my husband... <laughs> Yeah, every time I'm having yeah. dissatisfied sex with my so husband. So that when I dissociate during sex with my husband. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, the young character, uh, played by the girl from The Office, whose name... Uh, yeah, you've got your computer Ellie open. Kemper. Ellie right. Kemper. Yeah. Uh, she's had sex with one man her entire life. Her and, and the, their, their conversation on the plane is it's one fantastic. of my favorite yeah, it's parts funny. of the film. Yeah. We need two double seven and sevens. Don't <laughs> worry. You'll like it. It's sweet. Uh, to the non-drinker. And so, uh, you know, we have sex, but it's with the lights off under 
the covers, and then by the t- and we have to shower, and, and by the time tired, I'm done showering, I'm, tired, but I'm not really tired. I'm not really tired. <laughs> I would like to have seen that character explore a little bit more. Not to say that uh, infidelity would have been hilarious, well, but it yeah, might but have that's been part hilarious. of the richness of this film, right? I mean, I'm going to come right out and say, like, I, I do love this film. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And I loved it when I saw it in the theater the first time, and did not expect it to work as well as it did for me. Then, like, mm-hmm. I again, I went in. Kristen Wiig, one of my favorites on SNL of the prior decade. Maya Rudolph, come on. And Maya Rudolph, who who wasn't top built, but like yeah. still big presence <laughs> in the film. Excited to see her show up. But I didn't know McCarthy. I didn't. I mean, I guess I knew Ellie Kemper. I didn't know. So I didn't know a lot of the other cast. Right. I didn't know the director Paul Feig. Feig, I think, I yeah, I think I, right. who's gone on to do a lot, and he and he still. But I was floored. This was one of those like I feel like this this Austin Powers. There's like a handful of movies where I can say like I went in with positive expectations, but then they even exceeded those expectations where I just had like riotous laughter yeah. throughout the film. And I was excited to watch it again. I was too. And that a lot of those scenes still made me laugh yeah. as much as they did the first time around. Well, and and Joe's example was a good example because when the the sex was about when the the sexualization of the comedy was about wasn't reflected back on just the woman. It was about a bigger thing, like a relationship yeah. or something. It, I thought it was funnier than just um, some of the raw stuff. You the know, M- like Melissa McCarthy sticking her leg up. <laughs> you feel that heat. Great, it's coming from my undercarriage. Yeah, I mean, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's impressive that she can get her leg up there. And, like and the that. idea that she pegged that guy as an air marshal and yeah. he's so effectively... And you know that's her husband, right? Yeah, like, I didn't at the time, but yeah. I, you know... The, the, he's so effectively yeah. saying, I'm not an air marshal. <laughs> and why would I stick a gun at my I butt? I knew you were! And then, I'm an air marshal! I got your back, Rob! <laughs> it's just, it's... Yeah. We could just do... We could do a quote-along for, oh, like, 30 the, more minutes. The, this, the post-credit, or, you know, inter-credit sequence of the sandwich eating. I mean, yeah. like, come on. Oh, yeah. That is just... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I feel like we're glad, you know. I think I, that was improv. I really sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Like, let's just set her. up the camera. You two go and improv. <laughs> Here's a couple big sandwiches. sandwiches. Oh, my God. Oh, so funny. Oh, my God. I hear what you're saying, Pam, about, you know, it, it is funny to look and think about, like, well, what is this really achieving when we sort of have these women being body in these specific ways? What, what is it that they're sort of bringing to it but to me there's a lot like this is a film about a lot of empowerment this is women deciding their own even that conversation on the plane is so much about you know uh, the McClendon Kobe Rita character talking with Becca is like girl she was you need to find you know what you want like the the experience of life you're having right now is one that is so cordoned off and sort of boxed in you need to and I feel like that that's one of the huge messages that I get out of the film is you know, whether we're talking about the Annie character here and kind of how she's maybe limited herself because she had this big disappointment career-wise, right, with the folding of the bakery and that that, that stuff didn't sort of go off in the way that she wanted to. Um, the evolution, seeing her friends kind of have this success, although like a weird success, getting married into this like wealthy family. I mean, the, t- the tensions around there are very relatable, and but it comes down to like finding the path that works for her, which... I agree that the romance subplot is not necessarily so beautifully built into the film that it feels like a total piece. But I think Chris O'Dowd and her have mm-hmm. enough chemistry, yeah. and I like their scenes together enough 
that I bought it. I bought it the first time. I bought it this time. I think that we're watching a true journey of someone. And, you know, when you're of an age and you're not in a committed relationship and you crave... Inter- Don't have the career lockdown. Well, I was just saying you're not, in an, you're not in a romantic relationship and you crave intimacy. It isn't uncommon to come up with a booty call type uh, fuck yes. buddy situation. Oh, the John, John Hamm. Oh, God, the John Hamm stuff. Well, the oh opening, I mean, that was... Oh, my God. Yeah. That was one of the side splitting, yeah. like, right out of the game. But we see that this man is beneath her or yeah. or rather Literally. not treating her correctly <laughs> in many times in many ways with different feet flying in different directions yeah. and so to see yes, her the, land that some, that's the, some great physical comedy right there I and I was thinking about that as I was watching it I mean I was thinking about it on multiple levels but one of the levels I was thinking of it was I don't think I've seen anybody quite match that like I haven't seen that kind of physical comedy about sex about intercourse yeah in that way in any other film that i can can you think of any examples of where they've played that for comedy this way uh i think the maybe the uh, the movie april fool's day but I, i'm really <laughs> reaching back to yeah, an old an old uh yeah I, give me a minute because okay. it's you know, but it's no probably it's probably happened so well. but it but it's so well played but to my point yes. the chris o'dowd character i think is a nice wrapping on the bow for her where she finds someone that appreciates her and is supportive of her and and, and in a awkward moment attempts to get her to bake again and she's not ready to be saved or healed by a man and that's not his role nor you know nor should it be but it's that was kind of unbelievable he's just trying to do her reaction or well Oh, gee whiz, I just happened to get up and get all this stuff so that you could bake again and redeem your soul and live happily ever after because you just had sex with me last night. Yeah, yeah. we did some fun yeah. stuff. It's, it, it, is a big, it is a big leap to, to make there. But I don't know. I, it was rom com enough for me to say, okay, I'll go with this. Right. And, and, and it and was. rom com Really over-the-top rom com and in, uh, in a lot of ways. Uh you know, a few of the standout, I mean, we've already talked about a few standout scenes, but one that the dueling speeches mm-hmm. and the engagement party is one of my favorite scenes because her, you know, Kristen Wiig and Rose Byrne, I guess, like going back and forth there, like Trying grabbing the mic who's from the each other. Friend. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yes. I'm going to put, and this will be the last word for the evening, folks. <laughs> and then they, you know, segue until it builds to them. What is it, the song that they sing together? Uh, that's what friends are for. I thought it was Wilson Phillips. No, that's late. No, they, 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 I think they do so that. They get a callback for you. Yeah. Okay, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I, th- I think it's that. What that's what friends are for. Sure. I, I, beautiful, beautiful stuff. And the, I mean, the, seeing those two play off each other, that was, I think, for me, the first time that I really remember seeing Rose Byrne in something that I had. She had stood out to me in. Yeah. Um, and she's, you know, I don't not just a comic actress, but I think does very well mm-hmm. in this film. Yeah, she was funny. Yeah, she was funny. I, if you if I come up with the five scenes that stick the most in my head, uh-huh. one is the opening. Sure. But the other one is Maya Rudolph at the wedding dress fitting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in wa- the street. Yes, I'm watching that as she collapses in the street as she's shitting herself. And I'm thinking, <laughs> there's a metaphor for all this wedding stuff there somewhere, yes. you know, about oh, yeah. all this sort of ridiculous thing level that people go to with some of this stuff and uh man she was great yes she was great what are the other three seeds well or... 
Do you have any that you would I, I, I liked, not that Wilson Phillips came out, although yeah. that, that was a nice coda no, to was, a running that, joke. I love that. But yeah. seeing Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig singing along with Wilson yeah. Phillips and just their animated the, behavior, yes, right. the way that they would have re- been recreating the way they sang that song when they were 10 years old or whatever it was. <laughs> that was just... It was just cute. There's so much cute in the movie. It's it's well written. It's well put together. The right. puzzle pieces all fit, and uh, so I'm, uh, it's coming out of me like lava. I mean, is just <laughs> a line that you know. Well, and the and the woman who's the uh, I don't know who the the uh, performer is, but uh, who, who's the dress shop. Yeah, the the Owner one who's do, doing the fitting with them or whatever, who know who's friends with the Roseburn character, right? Right. Um, you know, her reactions through the whole thing are just priceless. Yeah. I mean, like absolutely spot on. Like Not the horror. In the bathroom. Yes, yes. And and then like walking in and seeing what's going. The vomiting on the head mm-hmm. of the person who's vomiting into the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, there's there's so much in there that that Melissa that McCarthy was pretty good in that. Oh yeah. In, well, that absolutely. That was. Yeah. The, I think the I, dress is a little tight. <laughs> they, all, they all have food oh, poisoning. Yes, from no, the, it, the, as you watch that sequence go on, like the addition of you know, like they're spraying down their hair just enough, and like the sweat pouring right, off right, them, right. But, like the color of their face, like they're doing the makeup just right. Like yeah. it, it is just a perfectly put together scene of that. You know, little rumbling, little rumbling, and then it kind of builds to the point where it just, yeah, it's it's a uh, which. The the funny that is one moment where I I actually thought it got more graphic than it did. I thought we saw more shootout. We see vomit, but we never see what's coming out the other end. It's alluded to. They yeah. talk about it, but it's covered up by a lovely dress, <laughs> a very expensive lovely dress. <laughs> I like the scene when Kristen, you know, and I think there could have been more of these scenes. Like you know, once you tear every everything down, all the bad parts of being female in this escapade. Yeah. When she finally, you know, calls John Hom to come and pick her up, and she and he's like, and she's like, you know, let me out of the car. Yeah, (laughs) let me out of the car. You can lay your head down in my lap. Yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) Pointing down. And she's like, let me out. Yeah. Let me out. I'd rather walk. And I think the scene where she's trying to get the cops' attention and she's driving yeah. back and oh, forth, yeah. that's, that's pretty funny too. It's hilarious. Yes, yes. Like many, many great funny sequences in this film it's one of those films it's it's so stacked with those kind of moments um they're they're really i mean them working out in the park and terry cruz threatening them because they're not paying to to work out (laughs) i mean it's just every little moment in this film is really well played rebel wilson putting the peas oh my god on her new tattoo and (laughs) by pouring the frozen peas rather than that strange relationship between her and the brother character there i I don't even know who that performer who is who is on great british bacon show yes Uh uh-huh yeah and he was on the sketch show little britain before like i knew you see him but you don't know but they they actually play good siblings in this in a very creepy strange and threatening way when it comes to annie being their roommate um, it, it, it's a it's a fun movie to sort of see all of these performers. I think, like you were saying, this is really the breakout film for Kristen Wiig in terms of becoming a bigger star. Which, sadly, I have to say, I don't think bore out quite as well as I had hoped it would for her. She's had a couple yeah. notable, like Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. If you haven't, have yeah, you guys seen? I've that? seen that. It, I highly recommend it, Pam. Um, it, that was more recent in the last couple of years, but mm-hmm. other than that, there's not a, a whole COVID lot movie. that I am 
familiar with that she really she was in skeleton the skeleton twins with bill hader wasn't she in ghostbusters the female ghostbusters too but she wasn't one of the primary people i don't know i I didn't see that yeah mccarthy definitely was i I think i heard her on smartless or some other uh maybe uh, uh fly on the wall with um dana carvey and david spade uh, talking about how she kind of took a break because you know she reached some highs and uh, wanted to actually concentrate on raising some kids, raising mm-hmm. her children in a non Hollywood way. But uh, I'd love to see her back, man. I think she's just, I'm, I think she's an attractive woman, and her sense of humor is just out of control. I mean, she's so good. And there, there definitely was a Midwestern quality oh, to yeah. the humor. I mean, I think there's really a. Uh, what I call a Midwestern sensibility, which is very straightforward, not particularly sugar-coated, and not really the huggy-kissy kind of... I mean, there's some real uh, differentiation from the South, in my opinion, of oh, what it's like sure. to grow up in the Midwest. This and, is not Steel Magnolias. And it... Because, <laughs> like, when all the bathroom humor is going on and stuff, I mean, you know exactly what's happening. You know, there's no... You know, there's no delicacy about it at all. And, and I associate that with being very Midwestern. Uh, I think that's true. I, th- I think from my experience of Midwesterners, being married to a Midwesterner and, and having spent some time there, I think you're right. There is a straightforward, plain-spokenness about it that... Uh, and, and, and a general disposition towards being nice on the surface though you know that can but that actually aligns midwesterners with southerners too right <laughs> so there is some overlap tim i mean there's so many yeah no he's buried in there it's yeah. funny that he shows up there's as so a, yeah. many uh, uh so many little cameos and comedy yeah. nods in this film it's really, yeah. really good i'm so glad that you recommended it pam because uh i was really happy to rewatch it yeah good it was funny Absolutely. I mean, I think it is always going to be it was a reliable source of laughs. It's funny, but not Jean Dielman funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, my God. Joe. When, when I was in Wisconsin, my friend was making meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> Did you and trot I, out the recipe? And, Were you like, and I said, oh, I have a video to show <laughs> And three and a half hours later, she just said pam you will never be invited to my house again (laughs) so awesome speaking of cute i'm now showing you the cutest beer can you will ever see in your entire life it has a little badger on it badger club amber lager you look like somebody we'd have a beer with now is is that for the uh uw is that the badgers or yes okay so are they out of madison this is out of verona okay and by the way, badgers are not cute. They look like gigantic skunks that have been squashed flat with long claws. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the uh, state emblem. Oh, All right, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about this Potosi. Yeah, we should. And we yeah. got a rogue on the table. I love it. But you're right. The Potosi. We should before we forget touch back on uh, what our experience was with that. I'm gonna say I really like this. To me. Again, West Coast IPA, truth and advertising. This is definitely a throwback in the sense of going back to like that 90s, early 2000s, beginnings of craft beer in the U.S., Sierra Nevada, pale ale, that kind of. This fits right in there. To me, had some of that resinous quality, that dankness that I was thinking was going to be in there. Um, The citrus is there too, Mm -hmm. getting a little bit of grapefruit. Not so bitter that it's a chore to drink. It's actually really nicely balanced. I I love this one. You, but I think 
it's it's beautiful when a brewery gets resurrected and makes beer this well. We have been drinking a lot of Pilsners, and when you open a Pilsner, you have an expectation of what you're going to get. That's more difficult, I've always found, with the West Coast style or the hazy IPA, because it, it, they all tend to look kind of alike, and on appearance, you'll say, this isn't hazy enough, but when you taste it, you don't almost know exactly what you're going to get, or another way to say it is, you could get 20 different things, and they all qualify underneath that category. Yeah. This is very hoppy that resin you're talking about but it's also got a very strong malt bill that after a couple of uh sips and i got used to it i really fell right into i was hate to hated to take that last sip the yeah. potosi snake hollow is one i would revisit if i could get it where we live <laughs> and the snake hollow is legit because that part of wisconsin because the uh, north american glaciers didn't go over it so it's very hilly um is full of rattlesnakes yeah really mm-hmm. In Wisconsin? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, that's what I read the side of the can. They're saying that Snake Hollow is a rattlesnake den. It is a true rattlesnake haven. Wow. So do you just want to keep going? How do you feel? Well, yeah. I mean, I think what we'll do is we'll say, look, we're going to take just a brief pause, as we always do, before we jump in. We know what our beer is going to be. Can't wait. But when we get there, we're going to tell you about the film that we're going to be talking about alongside that beer. Don't go anywhere. We are going to be talking about that second film in just a moment. Pam has already cracked open some of mm. that delicious, I can tell because I've already taken a little sip, uh, beer from Lake Louie Brewing. Joe, what's the name on that again? Well, before we start, I just want to say, Pam, you look like someone we'd have a beer with. Because <laughs> that's what it says that right on the there can? on the can. Oh, that's perfect. But yeah. it's the truth. It's Badger Club. It's their amber lager. And before we got that mic rolling in, Dave, David, I said, I know without you even having to look it up, you can do some encyclopedia talk about what an amber lager is all about. <laughs> well, I mean, really all we're talking about with an amber lager is that we are using a darker malt, essentially. That's something that's been roasted a little bit more than your typical like Pilsner malt or those kind of lighter ones that we tend to have mixed in with the rice or the corn, mm-hmm. with those kind of adjunct lagers. So you're going to have that darker but you know visual look right. to it you're also going to have a slightly roasty flavor kind of high not as roasty as a stout or a porter it's not that dark but c- coming in there just a little bit to help round it out usually the hop character is pretty mild on an amber lager but it's also nice and crispy and clean in the finish so i mean i'm, I'm hoping i get all of that and like i said with, with wisconsin I have no doubt they're nailing it. So, 5.5 ABV, and in case we didn't mention it, uh, the Potosi Snake Hollow from the first half was a 6.5. 6.5. ABV. Ooh, that that went down easy. That it was did. A good 6.5. Well, well, what's the movie, David? Because I'm excited about this. Well, <laughs> I was I was excited when Pam put this one out there in the mix. There were a few films that we were kind of talking about that we we could do. Unfortunately, one of them was a film we had already covered, which I had forgotten that we covered. I'll just put it out there. Back to school. A, a big time uh, favorite of mine and I think w- when we had that discussion I think all of us on that episode really had warm feelings about it and shot extensively on the University of Wisconsin campus yeah. which is Pam's alma mater 
No, that a lot of drinking happens there. I was going to say, like, and they were shooting that in the mid '80s. That was yep. like right around your time there. Well, a little after. Just I slightly. had already graduated, but um, you know, a lot of those comedy movies that came out of Wisconsin in in the early '80s. I don't know if y'all remember the airplane movies. Yes, oh, the Soccer Brothers yeah, and Jim Abrams. Well, Jim Kentucky Abr- Fried Movie. Jim yeah. Abrams and his friend were the student body president and vice president when I was at Madison. Really? Is that right? <laughs> yes. Well, and they stuck They were the pail there. and shovel party. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. The thing I remember most is that my last semester um, was the first time tuition had been over $400 a semester. And they stood, and this was back in the days when, you know, you had to like in January, you had to go literally out to the horse barn on the far end of the campus and pick up your registration card and then traipse through the snow to every place that you wanted to register for a class. Yeah. And they would write it. And then at the very end, you would go down to this red gym that was on the lake and you would pay your money. And they stood there handing out a certificate with a penny on it that was a rebate that would put us at $399. How funny. Just to keep you right under four hundred. How yes. funny! What did we do before the internet? We walked around in the snow <laughs> a lot and drank a lot of beer. Yeah, well, as a got, you got to stay warm. I mean, that just makes sense. <laughs> That's right. Well, so back to school wasn't going to do it. No, but but, did but you, you were not. You were a psychi- psychiatrist, psychi- psychi- psychology major. I you, was. Did, you never attended, or you might have gone into the Mellon School of Business, but. You know, I think that was actually built after I was there. Okay, yeah. If you Thornton Mellon. Thornton Mellon School yeah, yeah, of Business. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. a back-to-school joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. so, oh, you're just too quick for me. Uh, speaking of jokes that don't fall flat. No. Th- so, Well, let's see. I mean, Uh-oh. so the the other film that, that we thought of as an alternative here, the, it, it's not quite in uh, Wisconsin, though it is actually partly filmed there. There's, there's some sequences um, in there. But primarily... Uh, set in Illinois, this is the 1980 uh, film The Blues Brothers, mm. okay? Which, I, it, w- when Pam put it out there as a title, I was very excited about because this is a film that I have deep attachment to from very early in my life. Um, you know, I, I was only two years old when this came out, but this was playing repeatedly, at, you know, continuously on multiple different I remember seeing it on cable I remember seeing an edited for television version on my local UHF uh, Fox affiliate mm-hmm. for, uh, for quite a while this is a film that I saw probably I- at least a couple dozen times as I was growing up but that I haven't watched in quite a few years so it was an exciting idea to go back to it just to give people the lay of the land here this film takes these characters the Blues Brothers which were created these fictional creations of John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd while they were on Saturday Night Live um, because they both loved rhythm and blues music and early rock and they wanted to do something with that. They created these kind of fictional alter egos for themselves, Jake and Elwood Blues. This film imagines the story of uh, Jake, the John Belushi character, being released from prison after serving a few years for robbery and uh, coming out, meeting his brother Elwood, and immediately being told by the uh, sister who oversees their uh, former orphanage that the orphanage is in trouble, they need to pay some back taxes or else they're gonna be closed down. And so they are then- On a mission from God. On a mission from God to get that money 
to bring the only way they know how because they can't do it illegally the sister has made it clear that they cannot thieve this money right she slaps them with the ruler a number of times yes, to does. make this point well they kept cursing <laughs> that's dumb to do in right? front of a nun um and so the, from then on they're on the mission to god they have the only way they can do it is to get the band back together because mm-hmm. of course they were part of the blues brothers band the blues brothers review they needed to get it back together and so the film is about them getting the band back together in the process trying to get a show together that's going to be able to get them the five thousand dollars they need um we meet a whole lot of characters along the way see a whole lot of musical uh icons superstars i mean so it it, but but it's like sequence after sequence after sequence whether it be comic bit or musical song and dance sequence that's you know just this film is chock full of entertainment folks Uh, from front to back and for a comedy it was actually a big push for them to get the running time they did this is like two hours 13 minutes long it was even longer when it initially was cut and um, but Landis and and uh, and Aykroyd and and Belushi really felt like they wanted it the the way it was and I think everything has to be there there's no fat in this movie to trim no it's a very similar experience I owned it on VHS and wore wore out my copy, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't even like a big R and B fan, but I could appreciate everything that I was seeing, and I knew clearly who Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin, and you know some of those names that come in for one song, and then you don't see them again. James Brown at the church. Uh, this movie's a joy. This movie is a joy from beginning to end. You know, I didn't realize how old it was when I suggested it to me. The idea how old that, were you, were, what year would you have put it at if I had just asked you what you thought it was? Well, I knew it was from the 80s. Okay, but you, you didn't know? think 80. And I had kind of forgotten it was Landis's follow-up to Animal House. Right. Right. But the difference between the Blues Brothers and Animal House is Animal House, when it came out, I was in college when it came out, felt like it was about another time. You right, know? yeah. But the Blues Brothers... There are a couple of things about it that really struck me. One is it really, it would have been filmed in the late 70s, and that was a bad time. You know, I mean, 70s, end of the Vietnam War, president gets kicked out of the White House, you know, energy, uh, you know. Right, that gas, uh, oil crisis. Where, you know, you could only get gas every other day, depending on the letters in your name or the, on your license plate. Um, Massive inflation. When I got out of college, I got my first car loan. It was eighteen percent interest. So the seventies were were kind of grim, but people yeah. were s- still having a good time. And I think that's what that movie was kind of about: was that even <laughs> though things are really bad, we can have some fun. And the chase scene in the mall. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard for people today to imagine that. Malls were like kind of new back then. Yeah, you know, right, malls kind right. of started in the '60s and sure. early '70s, and malls were like, you know, this wonderland of shopping <laughs> for people. Yeah, and and to watch them absolutely destroyed oh. in in these big honking cars, it it was, and it, they really did do that in yeah. a mall. Yeah, in a mall just outside Chicago. I mean, it's. Uh, um, I, I cannot overstate how much I love that car chase in the mall. Like that to me as a kid growing up, that was my favorite car chase scene 
you know, for, for many, many, many years. And I mean, it may still, it's still really up there in, in terms of all that. I love the one at the end. I love the concluding chase as well. I think that's great. But that, just the fact that they're in that mall, they're going through these stores, they're knocking over the mannequins. And they're real, and they're real stores. Like, yes. Yeah. J.C. Penney. And they and say, the, uh, you know, I think some, a lot of the humor is... Here one. In their name. How, the how dan- like, deadpan they are during the chase, not stressed out at all. Pier One Imports, just saying the name, yeah. you know, like as as an observation, as we you know drive by it first, and then second drive into it and <laughs> completely demolish the whole thing. Well, the I think automobiles are in early this season, yeah, right? <laughs> but that's what made it fun is that there was dialogue about the chase and and the expressions on the cops and yeah. and them, you know, because nowadays you see a chase scene in a movie and it's all pyrotechnics and high level explosions. CGI, and yeah. It's almost beyond imagination. Yeah. Whereas you could almost ima- imagine this actually having happened. Sure. Oh, it did. I mean, this is, so, th- I mean, this film was, and still is, but it was notorious for a couple decades as being the film that they had actually destroyed the highest number of cars making the film. Right. Like, I think it was 103 different cars. Yeah that were totally demolished in the course of making this film, which a few of them certainly are in the mall, but later on when you get them in there chasing around the city of Chicago, you know, going to Daly Plaza with the, oh, I love this. Pan you guys can choose which one you want to choose. <laughs> Ooh. Keep going, David. Yeah. I'm going to make a choice so, for us. So, <laughs> so when you, you know, you have these, uh, you, you know, these moments there where, where there's just piles of car upon car upon car all those cop cars it's i mean it is comic how ludicrous they make just the quantity of cars that that get crashed in this film it's it's amazing and And along the way they just keep making more and more enemies yes Uh, well well, i mean so obviously elwood's already got the record right so we we start out in like those pursuing them are you know primary the chicago or chicago police and then illinois police because elwood has his license suspended he's not supposed to be driving around he is um so, so that's established early on a little bit after that we have the Illinois Nazi party, right? Is that, yeah. With, well, and I remember that happening. Because that was an actual thing, right? Skokie, yes, Skokie, was it Skokie, Skokie? Illinois. Yeah. Northern Illinois. Where the the, uh, the Nazi party wanted to be able to uh, demonstrate or whatever when it was, it, were they opening a Holocaust museum or they were doing something? No, I think no. they were just marching. But, but, you know, that's a really good point, David, because when I watch these 80s movies, and I've talked to you about Beverly Hills Cop before, yeah. the thing, first of all, I don't think anyone would let them make this movie today because they would accuse them of cultural appropriation or something. Well, that's, we, we should talk about... Hey, the, I'll tell you what, let's push pause real quick and let's talk about the beer that Pam just opened up. Ah! And then let's get into it, because Pam, <laughs> Pam came to play. This is, this is both a film chock full of entertainment and a, an episode of beer and a movie chock full of beer. That's I right. A rogue beer came out, was opened and poured. So I just want to say the Amber Lager, just before we forget that one, the Badger Club that uh, Pam gave us to start this segment awesome amber lager and i'm not that's not the style i go to all the time but it is delivering exactly what i want out of an amber lager it's a nice little bitter just a hint though it's not like again the the hops are very much in balance nice you know that kind of slightly fuller body than a you know lighter lager would have really nicely done yeah i can't agree more uh i you said it well i would not go to an amber lager at the 40 tap a craft beer bar as my first go-to i'm gonna hit all the but then when i miss a beer this good i think i'm making the wrong choice i'm i'm limiting my options aren't i and this one is so solid Mm -hmm. 
This is the beer that would sit next to the encyclopedia entry of Amber Lager. I can, it's, it's just solidly done, and the 5.5 is a nice ABV for it. I mean, this is, is, is great, beautiful pour. The uh, Lake Louis Brewing Badger Club, it turns out that uh, we now, David, are... Let me find out on the can again. Welcome to the Badger Club, David. We made it. We're in it. We're in it. All right. All and right. now we're also in... What is this? This is uh, Johnny Blood Red Irish Style Red Ale from Town, so it's from Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Red Ale is kind of like the, the ale cousin to the uh, Amber Lager, I think. It's, it's using very similar kinds of malts, um, but using ale yeast and, you know, probably going to give us a slightly more kind of, you know, hints of fruit maybe that you get with an ale yeast that you wouldn't with a lager. Be a, be a little bit lingering on the palate more mm. than the lager would be, but I'm, I'm excited to have some 5.2 ABV. Love it. Pam, thank you for coming ready to play. You were talking about <laughs> cultural appropriation. Well, I really no, want Pam you to say, like, this. you know, th- this film might not get made. And I, and I hear what you're saying, and I, and I think there would be trepidation around it in a way that there probably wasn't as much then. But... I do think there's some nods to it even in the film, right? Yeah, I think they did it they did it absolutely right. First of all, they brought in all these incredible musicians oh that I'm not God. sure a lot of people would have known. I mean, Pam, people- this is the film that introduced me to Aretha Franklin, that introduced me to Ray Charles, that introduced me to Macatar Murphy, that introduced me to Donald Duck Dunn, that introduced, I mean. John Lee Hooker. John Lee Hooker. Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway. Yeah, I mean, I think that there were a lot of people in it that were really strongly introduced. And the scenes about the inner city and stuff were actually pretty realistic at the time because, I mean, it was a, it was a bad time economically. Yeah, Chicago was um, in rough shape. For people, I mean, I remember driving through Chicago in the early 80s, and it was like, if you got in a bad part of town, you didn't stop at the stop sign. Right. You know, you just went. And um, so I, th- I think, but I think the way it handles race is very similar to how it did in the 80s, in that it was right out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're right out there with it. And I think, you know, over the 40-some years since this movie has been made, we've created a very different dialogue around race and gender and sexuality and other kinds of things. And so maybe the two, the connecting the dots between these movies is even though one's 30 years older Uh than the other one is that they're both right out there with their stuff. But look at it, it took 30 years to get a woman's movie to be able to do that. Absolutely. But but that's what I like about the movies in the 80s in that it created a dialogue about these things that we're very sensitive about right now. And not without good reason, but because that dialogue was out there and it was up front, it made people think about it. I think there are a lot of people who saw that movie who went to see John Bellucci and came away thinking very differently about a race and the blues and the kind of people who were making that kind of music. Yeah. And it was very different. Yeah, well, I I think, you know, as one indicator of that, right? This film, when it was coming out, was actually somewhat limited in the number of screens it got when it was opening because there were some theaters that were not comfortable with the idea of this mixed-race band being... God, that's the, crazy. I mean, the, by night, that was still something that, especially in the South, was a concern about our audience is going to want to see these white guys mixing with these black people in these sort of mixed-race bands. Yeah. 
you know, and they capture that in the country western. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well they, well, they played both kinds of music there. Country, country and, and western. western. Yeah. But, I mean, the, so the fact of the matter is this film, in its time, I think was trying to, not, not even because they wanted to make a progressive statement, but was being progressive in that it was showing, look, if we're going to do this music right, we're going to do it with the people who are making that music at the top level and that's Ray Charles that's Aretha Franklin that's you know John Lee Hooker that we're going to take all of these greats who are still in our midst who you know like but had fallen into a certain amount of disregard right i mean like this was 10 years after Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin had had their biggest hits this was you know definitely a moment where in Stax was not really a, the, the thing that it once was this was a moment where I think that stuff needed this kind of announcement like, hey, folks, this music is still really vital and still really amazing, and it's still being played. Well, John Lee Hooker and Aretha Franklin both had big comeback albums yeah. kind of after that, yeah. which is one thing. Riding on the freeway. Right, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it was also when rap was emerging out of Chicago, True. too, because my first job, I had another career before as an academic <laughs> I was working at a rural community mental health center, and my boss had worked at Second City with John Bellucci and Dan Aykroyd. He was an actor. Oh, wow. You know, mental health takes all kinds of people. Yeah. And um, he would still go down to Chicago a lot, and he would come back, and he would play these cassettes of rap music. And he'd say, have you ever heard anything like this before? You know, and he'd be like, no, yeah. I haven't. You know? Right. So I think some of some of what they were trying to do was sort of save that music. Yeah. In a way, but uh, well, I know that Belushi and Aykroyd were just huge fans of it. I yeah. Aykroyd went on to be a uh, partner in House of Blues. I mean, it's like he made a sub career out of his love for the blues. What I appreciate about this is how they gave these greats, Ray Charles, and the moment you see Ray Charles, I think in 1980, you minimally, that's you know who it is, and you chuckle because, hey, they got Ray Charles. But they give Ray Charles and Aretha and James Brown comedy bits, mm -hmm. and they perform them well. Yeah, I don't even mean the singing. I'm talking about when he yeah, shoots no. the gun at the little shoplifting kid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and I would love to have been there for the conversations where they're convincing these non-actor musicians to d do some comedy in addition yeah. to how did they pitch this film to Aretha Franklin? How did they pitch this film to Ray Charles? Outside of the uh, popularity, <laughs> of course, of those initial seasons well, of Saturday Night Live and the popularity of Animal House, it might not have been I a big mean, sell. I was going to say that I think this was a huge moment for all of that. Like not, and again, Pam, you could correct me on this, but you know, Belushi had had obviously great success with SNL, but Animal House was like a huge breakout yeah. moment for him. And so, coming on the heels of that, I think he had a ton of you know sort of capital where he could say like. Hey, let's. John Belushi has a film. I, I would think that that would have been a big attraction. But the fact that you know they had put out, I think it was the Briefcase of Blues album, which was a live recording that they did in '78. So you know this film was being put together. We're not. We're, not, we're taking it seriously. It's in the After joke. that yeah. album had sold, like it would, had gone platinum. Oh, there okay. was you know like they, they had had hits on the radio. The, these guys were actually bringing R and B back on the radio in a way at least in the top 40 stuff, that I think would have been very attractive to these performers yeah. at that time. It's also probably yeah. once you get one name, it's easier to get the second, then the third, yeah. and the fourth. 
one to know that they're taking it that seriously and it's very much you know we want to show that where this music comes from and who are the people making it and how it's being yeah I think the also strength of the film is the number of character actors and how good they are <laughs> the good old boys Carrie Fisher oh, oh god yeah Carrie Fisher <laughs> I was thinking the good old boys I was thinking the Nazis they they take it seriously oh, Henry Gibson, and deliver hilarious well I mean, John Candy peppered in there just yeah. in his he's not like a big character but you know as the uh, uh, um, the parole officer or whatever, like beautiful, love scene. Even the guys who there. played the police and uh, John Landis did a cameo in it too. Yes, I think. he he was one of the officers in one of the chase scenes. Um, but yeah, I mean that. Well, Twiggy showing up. Yeah, the, I like in the there, Twiggy, thing. which is is very funny, and I think I have a lot more. And Spielberg showing up as the clerk, taking their money yeah. at the the tax <laughs> assessor's office. I that was something that didn't click for me until. I, I Later mean, it on. might have been this time watching it. Like, wow, I don't yeah. know that I knew Spielberg when I was watching it all those times sure. back when I was younger. So what's, uh, let's go around the table. What's your favorite musical moment in the film? I'll go first. Okay. It's Aretha Franklin's for me. Yeah. Oh, uh, the great. joy of the build of it. She starts singing out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, there's real stakes in the conversation. Are you going to leave me and go off with these guys? You're going to leave me uh, in the lurch probably uh, with the business and all but at the same time you better think about what you're trying to do to me and those three girls from the countertop pop up as Including the backup one singers of her sisters. and then you the it, it's not immediately that the Blues Brothers and then the rest of the patrons are all involved in the dance and then it's over yeah I, that's my favorite musical moment in the film I love it do, are you still thinking I, I, I like John Lee Hooker boom boom oh, boom, God. boom I mean and right out on the street yep. and just yeah no it's 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 hard to top that absolutely for me it's hard to i mean i just remember the james brown oh, so uh, church with shaka khan in the right. choir um who i certainly didn't know then i, right. I didn't know james brown either with i think james brown even yeah anyway this <laughs> that sequence and the dancing that's going on the and flipping, the trampoline flipping yeah. that's happening like i always that that cuts me up every time where i'm seeing those people just like starting to like flip over you know do, do these somersaults and the two out of the blues brothers getting well, the, whole the blues Holy brothers getting involved yeah. too right and and belushi and which, i think they did their own dancing belushi did a lot of the cartwheeling i know but i think some of it was stunt but it, i i mean and it, I, I, the dancing's definitely them. Like, you're getting enough of their faces sure. to know. As moves they'd used on SNL. You know, I also wondered, at what point will people not get the phone booth? Ah, uh, good point. Yes. It's like $7 worth of change down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but it's hard to go wrong. I mean, that's what, like... And building up to that big concert scene yeah. at the end, where you get Cab Calloway, you know, kind of as the yeah. the the placeholder there, to, which is an amazing. I love that it kind of flashes to the fantasy of him in the white suit yeah. with the you know like the thirties yeah. big band kind of set up behind him, and then it you know sort of snaps back to oh no, it was him playing it with, with the Blues Brothers band, dressed like one of the Blues Brothers. But great song, you know, my introduction to Cab Calloway. And when they come out and kind of win the audience over, that's yeah. always a fun moment, getting to see them do their thing and, and, and how it goes over. The, the, you already mentioned the country bar scene, yeah. which I you know love. Them them going into Rawhide. Twice. This, which <laughs> I didn't even know Rawhide. I mean, I didn't know... 
I, I still don't. As I can't kid, say that I've yeah. watched the series Rawhide, but the theme song from Rawhide I know well mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from this movie. And their version of Stand By Your Man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and the audience, it's like everybody in the audience, the guy drinking his beer, like holding back the tears. Yeah. Oh. Well, 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 well done. And I'm so glad that we decided to do this. Well, this and, I, and it makes It's me a very p- kinetic movie. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of... Like there's a, just it's a, a sketch comedy show. Ener- energy, bang, you know? Bang, bang, one well, thing I after mean, the you other. think about all that it puts... Musical, song and dance sequences, car chases, funny dialogue, banter back and forth between... Funny physical comedy. I mean, it's a, it, and even with the Carrie Fisher character, some like straight up destructive spectacle action. Yeah, <laughs> like we're blowing stuff up in this film sometimes. It's, it really it had to have been a so real, really in interesting pitch, interesting screenwriting sessions between yeah. Landis and Aykroyd. I yeah. bet there were a lot of drugs going on in that. You're probably oh, right. Yeah, that was a problem actually. That that. Uh, I, I think cost of production went up considerably because of delays that were caused by the fact that when they were shooting in Chicago, Belushi. Was I think regularly... he went into rehab shortly after that. I think movie, you're right. Maybe. I think it. I think it was one moment of an attempted intervention. He kind died of. in eighty four, eighty three. I okay. thought, but yeah, I mean, not long after. But no. he, you know, he cranked out a few more. The neighbors. Uh, yeah. Continental uh, Divide. Continental Divide. Yeah. They're, Gone they're... too soon, man. That guy was a. It's too sad. A, yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Him, Farley. And well, and I mean, we don't have to go into it, but it, have you ever seen the Blues Brothers 2000 movie? That I think they that I did. Try, but I think that I've forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. Safely. With uh, John Goodman taking over the Belushi character. Not taking over, but being a cousin or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I have another piece of movie trivia for you from I Wisconsin. I say another beer. I do have another beer. <laughs> uh, so, oh boy. Oof. You can well, choose between Louis' demise and Spotted Cow. I think we've had the Spotted Cow, but let's let's when hold did off. We for have after. Spotted Cow. Okay, I'm looking it up. I now I I kind of if we haven't had Spotted Cow before, we need to drink the Spotted Cow on the mic because that is like the Wisconsin craft classic. That's the one that everybody's going to put on a pedestal and say is the most sought after, most, but but also the most ubiquitous. Once you're in Wisconsin, beers. what did you think of the? Uh, I like that a lot. I thought it had a. Uh, t- to me, it was a little bolder in the flavor. Yeah, than, it has a little heavy aftertaste. Yeah, than than the amber was with the, the what we had had before with the badger, but yeah, I mean, I li- I liked it a lot. The blood red worked really well. Yeah, let's do the spotted cow. Are we opening another beer? <laughs> I, I'm happy to do I, it. I, I think we're doing it. Okay. Uh, as we close out this conversation, call we're an Uber. Introduce. Um, I was refused a spotted car cow at a small restaurant in Wisconsin because I was told that they didn't carry that liberal beer. Ooh. There you go. Uh, on your recent trip, is it right? Uh, Christmas. Okay. Christmas. So I'm in this small town west of Madison, Mazamani, mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning having coffee with my friend, and this elderly gentleman comes in, and he's very deaf. And shouting very loudly, and we learned that he is John Wick, and his grandson wrote all the John Wick movies. <laughs> oh wow! And they were originally sold at, under a different name. The original script, the guys from Madison, the screenwriter, it was the original title was Scorn, and they said, "Well, you need to change the name." And he said, oh, "I'm going to name it after my grandfather." So John Wick. Wow. So John Wick was having coffee next to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's incredible. Wow. Apparently quite a philanthropist. That is too funny. Wow. Blues Brothers is a perfect Yeah, he's party from Madison, movie. Wisconsin. This all checks out, Pam. I love it. I uh, love it. Blues Brothers, perfect party movie. Perfect. It's a perfect any occasion movie, but I, I agree. You could put this on at a party, and, and it's going to be one of those films like if you look over, oh, is that Aretha hey, Franklin? This part in up. fact, this is the part in fact where... that was the exact reaction when I was watching it this morning, and I put it on. I don't think Aaron had actually seen it. Oh, wow. She she turned over. She turned to look at the TV while Aretha Franklin. Is that Aretha Franklin? Before yeah. she started singing. you know, it was like, And she's good. Yeah. They get her to curse. Yeah. That was, that was so good. That was so good. <laughs> said hey 19 that's retha franklin don't you know she's a, no no yeah no steely dan fans no. yeah. i'm a st- i knew i knew right away <laughs> Thank i'm you, not a steely dan fan. i like oh, steely dan. How, how can you be a dad and not be a steely dan fan is that a requirement like, i think so for if you're a white dad you're you listen to steely dan i, I mean i could sing in your heart you do i could sing a couple of song i guess a couple of their like singles that everybody knows but sure. uh, i have not ricky gone. don't lose that number and um do it again. Yeah, I, yeah. but I can't, I can't say that I've ears. ever gone down a Steely Dan rabbit hole. It's a good one. <laughs> well, but, but actually, more importantly, let's say I love that they pay respect to the greats, the greats of R&B, the great blues singers, the great jazz artists, and that's what the Blues Brothers does. I mean, to yeah. me, you know, what Pam said, like, now could you make this movie? I don't know. It would. I think it would be a dicier proposition to have two white stars as the leads in a film that's about this band being put together that's a R&B review right. kind of band. But that said, I think in its time it was doing the it was doing a great thing and I think it does it really well and it's so funny and if even again if you're a fan of car chases, if you're a fan of music, if you're a fan of comedy, like th- there's just so much in there yeah. for any viewer if you can drop any of your kind of 2020 vision and I'm saying that like us being in the 2020s and think about it more is okay this is a moment in time I think you're going to find a lot that's pretty wonderful there you know because Chicago is where a lot of southern blacks came in the 60s and early 70s because it was a more integrated city in a lot of ways absolutely yeah and uh, you know that whole tri-state area was part of that so I think the spotted cow is a good Palette cleanser after the. Uh, oh, the, now that title town Johnny Blood Red was not your favorite that we had tonight, Pam. No, I liked it, but it was just heavy. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was a little heavier and. That's uh, kind of a winter beer. Uh, if I, had, I can see that, yeah. If I had to choose my least favorite of the four, and I hate to do that because these four beers could, don't aren't designed to be drank uh, drank at the same time, but the title town was was that. But don't get me wrong, it was great. This new Glarus, though, uh, Dave, you said this is a, a well bit it's well sought out be- craft beer. Beer, yes, Spot it, a cow. It, I mean, if you're going to talk to anybody who's serious about beer in Wisconsin, they're going to tell you right off the bat, you need to have some spot. It's so cow. popular now that if you're at the airport in Madison, you can buy a 12 pack and they'll staple it into a paper bag for you and let you take it on the plane. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay, because I'm about to. I'm going. I'm going to New York soon, and I'm uh, brushing up on my getting beers back through the airplane. I, I don't know if they do it in New York, well, but no, they I'm do gonna, it in they're, Wisconsin. They're going to be hidden in my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be hidden in my luggage. I'm looking for the ABV on this. I'm having difficulty finding it. On the spotted cow. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm enjoying this very much. Uh, it's you know, I, I 
we have been doing Pilsners, and I brought two Pilsners on purpose because I'm trying to break through these prejudices that I have <laughs> uh, about lighter lagers. And uh, you know, this is one where I can understand exactly why. This you is can, the kind of beer you want to drink on a hot summer day sure. after you've just mowed the lawn. Sure, this is a beer that you could sit on a bar stool and get in trouble because this is so easy. That's the first thing I noticed. It, it is so four, easy so to I drink. So I did find 4.8%. Okay. It's, this is, it's, it's a nice sub five this is this is right where you want to be if you're gonna have and it could be very easy to knock back three or four easy. of these, these sitting at the bar so yes. refreshing so easy to drink all right i think we've covered it i i don't think that i think that there is no failure to wash from our mouths this episode no we we had two classics that we were looking at um you know and and again there there may be uh little criticisms we could put in there but these are fun films folks if you can you know they were both really solid movies oh, yeah. just yeah no the, to me living up to my memories of them in ways that i had just hoped they would it, perfect episode for me the best thing about beer in a movie david is the conversation is not in here and i want to talk about after hours first because pam i hope you'll stick around for another almost maybe hour 45 minutes who knows of talk I'd like for us to go a little deeper into judging films from the 80s or any era about their current social barometerness. Um, and you can do that at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. It's a few dollars a month and you get a bonus episode every single week. Uh, and then our Discord. Now, at Discord, you're going to Google, Google. You're going to search Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. You're going to join our Discord server, no cost, of course. And that is where a growing, thriving community of Beer in a Movie fans are talking every single week. And we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. Not so much, but we're there. And we know that you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. But before you leave, don't forget, rate us, leave a review. It helps us so much. Give it, Make it five stars. And that way, the algorithm can do what it do put us out there as an option for more listeners now you have just experienced another all wisconsin new episode of beer in a movie until next time illinois nazis i hate illinois nazis <laughs>